What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, here to break down game one of the round two series here. And with me, of course, Arif Dean, the man, the myth, the clown shoe. And we got Patrick Stedman on the ones and twos. Arif, I mean, obviously a great game from the Avalanche. We couldn't have predicted this to be any better. Uh, What are your initial thoughts on uh, game one there? I think my initial thoughts are the Vegas Golden Knights are currently in conversation with the Arizona Coyotes because Arizona is emotionally supporting them and walking them through and talking them through what it feels like to lose a 7-1 playoff game against the Avalanche. And they're also throwing in a little bit of notes and advice on how to deal with losing two 7-1 games against the Avalanche in the same series because the way that that game went yesterday was a total ass whooping. And if we have more of those, the Avalanche are just going to run with this series. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think going into it, the conversation was obviously centered around Robin Leonard, right? I mean, come morning skate, we didn't really anticipate him playing. I guess some people would have thought so. Uh, you know, especially my my partner on the hockey show, Ryan Bolding, he was very upset that uh, whoever won that game seven between Minnesota and Vegas was only going to get one day of rest. So I guess we could have seen the uh, concept of Robin Leonard coming, but at the end of the day, it looked like it was quite the mistake. No, like there, there was no, there was absolutely no feasible reason why Robin Leonard should have played that game. You played every other night and you had no back to backs. And this was another every other night matchup. I don't care if you were switching from the Minnesota wild to the Colorado avalanche. It works the same. You fly from one city to another city. You have a day off. You play another game. We saw Philip Grubauer in March play 10, 11, 12, 13 straight games uh, avoiding only back-to-backs. And when there was back-to-backs, they would put in Hunter Miska or Jonas Johansson, and then he would come back in and play six, seven, eight straight games every other night. It makes no difference. We've seen this before. Goalies have been doing this since before hockey you know, got to this two-goalie system that it is now. There is no excuses why the Vegas Golden Knights should even be worried and, and, and Ryan Bolden should be worried about them having one night off. Your series took seven games. That's your issue, especially in a COVID uh, compacted schedule year, uh, there is no time to give you an extra two or three days off. And uh, the second thing is uh, you should start, you should have started flurry. He is the better goalie. He is your starting goalie. And he played seven games over 13 or 14 nights. Like he has 20, 25, maybe 30 times already in his career. There was no reason why they should go to Robin Leonard other than to give their backup goalie or the other guy a sniff of playoff action because they feel like they have to implement this two goalie system because they're paying them so much. I like what you said there with that's your problem that your series went to seven games, right? That's kind of how the playoffs are supposed to work. You you get out of four games, then you get to, you know, rest and then get to practicing. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this on that note. Yeah, on that note right now, the North Division had to start the playoffs late because we, you know, the whole Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary and all those teams had those late games. So both of the first round series, the Edmonton-Winnipeg series and the Toronto-Montreal series had a back-to-back. Now the North Division in the second round is going to have a back-to-back again. You want to know why? Because the Toronto Maple Leafs had a chance to end their series in five games and blew it. They had a chance to end their series in six games and blew it. Now, the Maple Leafs have to play game seven on a Monday when the Bruins and Islanders are already playing game two of their second round. So now Toronto's going to have little to no rest, if even at all, and are likely going to start, or Montreal, whoever wins the game tonight, is going to have to start the series Wednesday. And now the North Division is going to continue to play catch up with the other three divisions because Toronto couldn't end their series in five and six like they were given the opportunity to. So it works the same way. The Maple Leaf schedule, if they win this game, is going to continue to be compacted with little rest, not after the second round, not after the first round, because it was their problem that it went to seven games. That's the way it works in this COVID world where you have to schedule games this quick. That's just the way it is. Right, and you look at Winnipeg versus Edmonton, right? Shouldn't Winnipeg be rewarded for sweeping Edmonton when no one expected that to come? So why not reward them with a little bit of rest? I like that, I guess, thought process there. But yeah, with Robin Leonard, I mean, you just felt like right after that first goal, Miko Rantanen got it pretty early, and it just felt like it was over right right from there. I mean, that goal, in my opinion, was pretty bad. Uh, Robin Leonard was too sucked back in his crease and just left a huge window for uh, Rantanen to snipe a backhand. Don't get me wrong, a beautiful shot from Miko Rantanen, of course, but still, it's just a backhand, right? A backhand shouldn't be able to snipe you over your shoulder um, as fiercely as it did there. So right away, I think you notice Robin Leonard was a mistake. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me start with let me get away from Robin Leonard for a second and talk about Miko. Miko Rantanen is a left shooting right winger. Mm-hmm. And he purposely plays on that side because number one, it sets you up for the one timer. You can be on your off wing, kind of like Alex Ovechkin is on his off wing. Number two, when you're that good of a player and you have that good of a backhand, taking passes on the backhand and take and releasing shots on the backhand is actually a weapon now because nobody knows what you're going to do with it. So shout out to Miko because the amount of force he put into that shot and how fast that shot blew by the goaltender was just something that only the best players in the NHL could do, which is somebody like Miko Rantanen. Now as for Robin Leonard, would have Mark would Mark Andre Fleury have made that save? I don't know. Maybe, but Robin Leonard, like I said yesterday when we recorded that video at Ball Arena, he didn't make the saves early in the game to keep his team in the game. And right from that opening goal, right from that first shot from Miko, you knew it was over because Leonard was knocked off of his schneid. He was kind of rattled by that goal. The avalanche were going. The fans were in it. Ballerina was electric. And the Avs kept swarming. Vegas had no answers. And it started with Robin Leonard wasn't able to make a save in his first game in 20 days because Vegas decided to turn to him because for some reason now goalies can't play eight games in 16 days. Yeah, and after each goal, I think after the third goal, I would immediately look at Pete DeBoer and Marc-Andre Fleury and just try to notice any sort of uh, you know communication between them on if they're going. And it, it was obvious that he was not planning. By the time about the fourth or fifth goal rolled around, he wouldn't even look over at him. So it was obvious he wasn't planning on playing him for a single second, which tells you a lot about the motivation behind it. It was clearly only rest-driven, right? I think some people before the game were speculating a little deeper. Um, but yeah, I think that tells you everything right there. Yeah, and I and I I know I I know I said yesterday night that I don't know which way it's going to go, but I think I do know which way it's going to go. Marc Andre Fleury will be in the crease for game two. He should have been there for game one. I don't think resting him for game one is going to suddenly give him the energy he needs to play games two to seven if it goes that far. Um, I think Vegas dropped the ball. Pete DeBoer made the wrong move there, and he paid for it. And he paid for it mightily. If Flurry played the game and the Avalanche still won and it was four to one or five to one instead of six or seven, or even if it was still seven to one, there's nothing you can say that DeBoer did wrong. A goalie just walked him through the first round series against a tough opponent and he played him in the second game of the second round series. Welcome to the NHL. We've been doing this for years. The Golden the Tampa Bay Lightning just won a cup playing Vasilevsky every other night and sometimes back to back. Uh, but by going to Leonard, you gave yourself the opportunity to either look smart or look like an idiot. Seven goals later, you don't look smart. And I think from Marc-Andre Fleury's perspective, he was probably ready to go, right? I mean, yeah. we were watching warmups, and not only was he the last person on the ice, he was the last person on the ice by like two minutes. So I think he could, you know, he was ready to go. He's ready to play hockey at all times, and he wants to play. He loves to play. So I think taking him out of that game was probably kind of a, a deep cut for him. And, you know, it, at the same time, it's probably nice for him to see his team get shelled while they're, while he's probably sitting there saying, I, I told you so, you should have played me. Yeah, and the whole thing that I was doing wasn't looking at Pete DeBoer and Marc-Andre Fleury to see if they communicate. I was looking at Marc-Andre Fleury to see what he was thinking, to try to figure out, try to gauge his mannerisms, his body language. And obviously it was a look of defeat of my team is losing, but you have to think there was a little bit of a sense in there like, I could be in this game and I would probably be doing better. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is the Golden Knights, they did in the beginning, but not anymore. They don't deserve Marc-Andre Fleury. He's probably not going to be there in October. Maybe he goes back to Pittsburgh. Maybe a team like Edmonton makes a move for him or a team like, I don't know, whoever's looking for a goalie nowadays, but he doesn't deserve to stay in Pittsburgh, not in this two goalie system, not when they just gave Robin Leonard a, a five-year deal for some reason, and even trading for Robin Leonard for whatever reason. Like nothing about what they've done with Flurry since Leonard has come in has made sense. And all Flurry's done is go out there and play again and again and win again and again, and ended up playing more games than Robin Leonard in the regular season because the coach had no choice but to play the hotter hand, which is the better goalie, which is your starter which is Flurry. We are an Avalanche podcast, not a Golden Knights podcast. I just really love Marc-Andre Flurry and just feel terrible for him. But it was the wrong move. The Avalanche took advantage of a goalie that hadn't played in 20 days and they made the Golden Knights pay. 
Yeah, I mean, that decision combined with some comments we'll get into later in the podcast just really make me question the way Pete DeBoer thinks about hockey. I don't know if he, uh, if I necessarily agree with it. I think it's a bit antiquated. But again, like I said, we'll get into that in a second. But let's look across the ice at the other crease. I wanted to really touch on Philip Grubauer because he reminded me of, you know, that common adage in hockey when a defenseman is unnoticed, he's doing his job, right? I feel like that's the way you saw Philip Grubauer play last night. You saw Robin Leonard. You know, I tweeted about it. It looked like he was breakdancing, right? He's swimming all over his crease, sliding on his stomach, doing everything. Philip Grubauer had none of that. Every puck that he would get, he'd swallow up. He always, he never had a stressful, dangerous moment. And I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that because while Gru, you know, while the guys in front of Grubauer really stole the show, you got to remember what Grubauer is doing every single game here. And it's team defense to the T. It starts with the forwards that back check. It goes to the defensemen that are doing great in front of Gruby. But Gruby's involved in that conversation too. He's playing a very, very conservative, quiet game where he's just he has the confidence of his team. And uh, if you don't believe that, then just look at what would happen every time Hunter Miska was in net. It's the same guys in front of him. It's the same defenseman. It's the same back check. It's the same forecheck. It's the same systems implemented by head coach Jared Bednar. But when you had Hunter Miska in net, everybody shriveled up. Nobody had the confidence of playing their game because they didn't have confidence in their goalie. They have that in Philip Grubauer, and they have it in Gruby because he is back there doing what he does best, and it's keeping everything calm, keeping everything to the outside. There was that one save that you pointed out yesterday, very underrated play where the puck was shot toward him, and the Golden Knights were kind of swarming the offensive zone and had numbers looking for a rebound, and he just whacked it away into the netting, face-off. Avalanche won the face-off, cleared the zone. No chance, no opportunity, no swarming, no passing, no no catching the avalanche at the end of a shift. Nothing because Grubauer paddled the puck away into the netting like a goalie should in those kind of situations. So the way that he's playing right now is why the avalanche are able to rely on him because he doesn't need to do much because they have the confidence in him. Yeah, just a great defensive play, right? And you slowly build that confidence because how much do you think those defensemen that were on the ice appreciate that, right? Rather than having to go to battle with a puck around the net, now they're just taking a deep breath and getting set up for a face-off. So a uh, super underrated play, and I, I just hope everybody around the league is noticing how good Philip Grubauer is, really. I want to get a T-shirt with uh, his face with the sunglasses on from the outdoor game, right? See if they'll have me. Um, see if they'll have me in the standing room only section, like Mark Moser yesterday, ripping off my button off with my new <laughs> T-shirt. Um, so yeah, I think we really got to get into the top line. I think they carried the offense yesterday, really set the tempo uh, from the get-go. Um, yeah, so top line was fantastic. We got a, an amazing point streak coming out of Rantanen right now. 15 straight games with a point for Miko Rantanen in the playoffs, and that dates back to 10 consecutive games last season and the first five of this year. That is not an avalanche record. That is a franchise record. So the storied past of the Quebec Nordiques is included in the fact that Miko Rantanen has 15 straight games with a point. He is playing unbelievable hockey right now. He had a couple points yesterday. He's got a very pedestrian nine points in five games. In the playoffs, and I say that's pedestrian because his teammates have 11 and 12, and or sorry, his line mates in Landeskog and McKinnon have 11 points and 12 points. So Miko's kind of trailing behind them. But my God, what a streak! What a player! Just everything about what the Avalanche are doing right now is because their top line shows up. We talked about Connor McDavid and and Drysaddle and their ability to be shut down. We see what's going on with Toronto with Marner and Matthews and their ability to be shut down. If you want to beat the Boston Bruins, you got to do what other teams have done in the past, shut down what they call the perfection line with Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand. Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, and Nathan McKinnon, there's no shutting them down in the playoffs. Even series when they lose, they lost to the Sharks because they, you know, there was an offside call, there was a whole bunch of things, but the Sharks should have beat them in less than seven games, but they couldn't because of that top line. And then they lost to the Dallas Stars because they had 17 injuries and Michael Hutchinson in goal. And now here we are in the second round after beating Ryan O'Reilly in the Blues, who came into the series confidently, and we're seeing them put up points again and again and again, and it's every game, and that Miko Rantanen point streak shows it, and nobody can shut them down, so you have to find a way to beat them otherwise. 
Yeah, I mean, you throw K.O. McCarr on the line with him, right? And and then suddenly it's it's like a power play. And we talked about how important the power play was in the last series. So I think just having those four on the ice at the same time, you know, probably usually with Devon Taves too, it, it's it's a man advantage, it feels like. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely lopsided with the way they're playing. And all four of them, McCarr, Rantanen, McKinnon, and Landeskog, put up a handful of points last night. So, I mean, you can't do anything but love that and just hope that that remains consistent because obviously top lines buzz and everybody else can kind of relax. But, um, you know, that's exactly what you need from your playoff group, right? I mean, that that was the uh, Ball Arena's three stars of the game in that order, right? It was Rantanen third, Landeskog second, and McKinnon first, right? Yeah, and the cool thing is right now we have depth players that are stepping up. And uh, look no further than the guy that was acquired exactly for this time of the season, for the playoffs. And I'm talking about none other than Brandon Saad. He's got four goals in five games. He's scoring at the right time. He obviously had that very accidental pass from Valerie Nichushkin yesterday, end up on his stick with a wide open net, but he's in a position to score because he puts himself in those positions. Donskoy had an assist yesterday. Jost had an assist. Burakovsky had an assist. The depth guys are stepping up. That includes Sam Gerrard. That includes Devon Taves. These guys are stepping up and scoring outside of the top line. It's just so hard to keep track of everybody that's recording points because we are five games into the playoffs. The Avalanche have scored 27 goals and they've scored at least five goals in every single game except for the first game of the playoffs. And if you remember, in that first game of the playoffs, they scored four, so they missed it by one. So it's hard to keep track of everybody that's recording points. It starts with the top line, and then it's the depth that you have. And it's the fact that Nazem Kadri's missed his third consecutive game, and you don't even notice it because they've been able to plug in anybody else and everybody else, and those guys start to produce as well. And with Brandon Saad, I really noticed him last night have an elevated form of of style, right? I mean, he's played yeah. well all season, but he has that playoff level that he can turn to that I don't think we saw all year long. And now he he's throwing bodies around. I mean, he's making exceptional plays. And uh, who was it, Petrangelo, that he got into that little wrestling match with, same time as the, the Ryan Reeves stuff was going on. So, um, yeah, he has a little bit of, of a different level that we're seeing right now. So I love that. Um and I, I just think from the offensive standpoint, you, I really got to give some credit to the coaching because it seems like the Avalanche were extra prepared for the defensive structure that Vegas was running, right? You really saw a lot of uh, backdoor passes that were wide open that the Avalanche were finding and connecting on all night. And I think that was exploiting kind of the way that Vegas kind of likes to swarm the puck, right? So you got one guy... Um, open on the far side, and, and they were finding it and connecting on it a lot. I mean, you saw on the Landis Scott goal, he walked right down the lane there and had all day to shoot it. You saw one on the on a McKinnon goal doing the exact same thing. So great job by the coaches to use that week of time to really prepare for what, what they were about to see, and they nailed it. Yeah, they absolutely did, and this goes back to the conversation that you and I had, and quite frankly, the entire hockey world had heading into that game one. It was the rest or rust. Was it Were the Avalanche going to come in rested, or were they going to come in rusty? They came in rested, they came in prepared, they came in ready, and it's not to toot my own horn, it's exactly what you and I talked about on the last episode. It was that the Avalanche had all of this extra time to practice, they had all of this extra time to prepare, and it's something they haven't had all season, and they took full advantage of it. Even on the days where we're like, hey, you know, it's been five or six consecutive days. Maybe they're finally going to give their players an off day. Nope, it was an optional at Ball Arena. They were out there. They were working on skills, working on things. And they had a book out for the Vegas Golden Knights. They had a book out for the Minnesota Wild in case they won that series. So I think even if the Wild had won Game 7, going into yesterday's game, the Avalanche were going to come out the same way they did and score a lot of goals because they were ready for no matter who their opponent was. Yeah, we saw it kind of all season long, right? This year where they didn't really get to practice that much. Um, you know, good on the Jared Bednar coaching staff to really make sure that they're sharp mentally, right? You can yeah. have practices and not be physically exhausted, but really hockey's such a mental sport that if you're still sharpening that high that high IQ, um, you know, you're still going to be in good shape. So, you know, I really credit Jared Bednar there for that one. Yeah, absolutely. And right now, Jared Bednar, and this is one of the th topics of discussion coming into the series, was a matchup against Pete DeBoer, who 
is, I believe, 5-0, and maybe 6-0 and now in Game 7s, and he's somebody that's beaten Jared Bednar in the playoffs before. He's somebody that gets the most out of his teams, especially in the first year or two. He did it with Florida. He did it with the Devils. He did it with the Sharks, and now he's doing it with the Golden Knights. So this is a very good coach on the other side, and Jared Bednar found a way to outcoach him, outclass him, outmatch him, and pretty much out-everything him in that first game. And if he can do it three more times, he's going to prove just how far he's come since that 29 series, 2019 series when Pete DeBoer was coaching the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, absolutely. I have a funny story about uh, before the game. You know, they had the little pregame show with Rycroft and Kyle Keefe up on the Jumbotron. And uh, I think it was Rycroft that said something about uh, McKinnon being the fastest player in the world. And the ve- this guy who does Vegas radio and was calling the game, I don't know if he did color or what, just he's loud as hell too up in that press box just starts throwing a fit like what you can't call him the fastest player in the world you can't call maybe the most aggressive player in the world but not the fastest and then mckinnon just comes out and lights a show right in his face and seven scores to one. that goal the way that he scored it unreal right right that exactly. second goal so- I get the uh, argument of, oh, Connor McDavid might be faster, but you can't take so much offense to something like that, especially when Connor McDavid is, you know, working on his chipping and his putting. At this point, there's no more chipping and putting to work on. He's been doing it for so long. <laughs> I hate to take a shot at Connor McDavid. It's not his fault, man. The Oilers suck. They're just such a terribly built team. But no, I totally get that. I mean, there's Nathan McKinnon is the, sorry, let me change what I was about to say. Let me correct this. Playoff Nathan McKinnon is the best, fastest, most aggressive, uh, high-flying, high-scoring, clutch NHL player on the planet, bar none. Not Connor McDavid, not Sidney Crosby, not Alex Ovechkin, not Austin Matthews, not Mitch Marner. Go down the line, Patrice Bergeron, Devon Taves. Nathan McKinnon in the playoffs is the best player on the planet. He is the fastest. He is the most aggressive. He is the best scorer. He has eight goals in five games. He had 20 in the regular season. He's going to match it by the time they get to game four of the series. Like he's just on fire. I'd like to see him just crack a smile during a game at one point. Even if you're up 7-1, you don't need to be so grumpy. I I heard a radio interview with Jared Bednar, and he called him a grumpy player. And I thought that was the perfect adjective to describe the way he is, right? He's just so angry out there. He's not a grumpy player. He's just a grumpy human. That's just how he carries himself. (laughs) That's the way he always has a chip on his shoulder, and nobody knows why. But that chip on his shoulder is why he's going to win four or five Stanley Cups in his career. But he kind of smiled a little bit after that uh, first goal he scored, the one where he fired home that wrist shot. Uh, he he had that very electric Sally. And then if you actually watch the video or the TV feed, which you and I couldn't see from the game yesterday, uh, when they showed the close-up on him, he was doing his let's go and he had a smile on his face for once. It wasn't a serious face, but I think it took a 5-1 goal for him to get into that mode. But God, that second goal he scored, that speed, he just completely, he he skated around the entire Vegas Golden Knights defense. He pretty much winged by their bench and just a nice little chip over Leonard. Just a very quick, easy goal. Yeah, it happened so quickly, too. You know, I think you remember that oh boy moment from the outdoor game. This this group of defensemen, I think it was Haig that was trying to guard him. He didn't even have time to say oh boy. By the time he would have said oh boy, the play was already behind him. So, yeah, that just, that just happened so quickly. And the chip, again, Robin Leonard just kind of getting too sucked back and leaving a wide open window over his shoulder. So, um, you know, look for that to be a big change. Let's get into the conversation that I think dominated game one, right? And I think everybody's still a little riled up from it. And that's Ryan Reeves getting in the face and kind of uh, sitting on, kneeling, kneeling on, whatever you want to call it, on Ryan Graves. All kind of a reaction from the Graves hit on Matthias Janmark earlier in the game. So, I kind of forgotten about that hit when all that was going. I just thought it was a, a in the around the net scrum, right? Just like you tend to see. Um, so I forgot that that there was an extra little motivation there for Ryan Reeves to kind of really take it to to Graves. But still, no excuses. I think what he did was garbage. Yeah. So the Ryan Graves hit on on Matthias and Mark. We have to start there because. I don't want to do this thing where, you know, I'm the avalanche guy defending the avalanche. That's not what it is. But the hit from there, the hit there on Janmark from Ryan Graves, how do I nicely say that it was a clean hit because Matthias Janmark was admiring his pass and Ryan Graves didn't catch him in a blind side. And Ryan Graves is also finishing his check from a player that just got rid of the puck a half second before. 
That's how you say it, exactly how I just say it, because that's exactly what happened. Matthias Janmark was admiring a pass after after playing along the boards, knowing that he was playing up against Patrick Nemeth, who was on his tail, and Ryan Graves, who was coming at him to finish a check. You have to be ready for that. You have to brace yourself. Did Ryan Graves catch him in the head? Yes, he caught him in the head because Janmark is a shorter player, and that's the only place you can catch him. Was it the principal point of contact? Was it the intentional hit to the head, kind of like the Kadri play? Absolutely not. But yes, he did catch him in the head because things like that happen when you're not looking. So it was a clean hit. Okay, I get it. Even with clean hits in the NHL in 2021, it's been happening for 15, 20 years now. You have to answer the bell. Great. Answer the bell in a different way, not that way. Because the Golden Knights down 6-1 to one heading into the third period. And Jared Bednar said it yesterday. If you remember in the post-gamer that we were listening to, he said, we expected it. We all knew this was coming because the Golden Knights were down 6-1 to one, and then the Graves and Yanmark hit happened. You knew they were coming out looking for blood. They, you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what they were going to do. But it was Ryan It was Ryan Graves in a post-whistle scrum. And it was Ryan Reeves who his screws were already loose. He was taking a shot at Philip Grubauer. And Grubauer gave him a nice, nasty chop to the back of the legs where there's no protection. And Ryan Reeves' screws went loose. He went after Graves. He took him down. And then he put his knee on top of Graves' head and just sort of pinned him down. Kept punching at him with his gloves on, which apparently that matters. We'll get into that. Uh, and, and there was an intent to injure. There was a malicious play. There was a reason for suspension, reason for a match penalty, which all of that is coming to light right now. And what Ryan Reeves did put the avalanche on a nine minute power play. I have never seen a power play timer say nine zero zero before yesterday's game. And that's what Ryan Reeves's play did. And that's the problem with having a guy like that with that role on a team, right? I mean, his sole responsibility is to, to protect and be the sheriff. And I did that in air quotes because he's going to overreact. Suddenly something happens. And even if it's not that dirty of a hit, he feels, oh, here's my time to take into my role and for me to kick into this game, right? And so he obviously, you know, you probably ask him about that Graves hit. He probably would tell you, yeah, it wasn't even that bad. I was just simply doing my role. But now that it's the playoffs, everything's heightened. He feels like he has to go out and do this and there's no stopping him. And before this buzzer sounds, I'm hurting Ryan Graves in some way if he doesn't drop the gloves and fight me straight up. So um, I, I'm not sure I love the comment you made there that he has to answer the bell, because why? He doesn't have no, to answer that's, the bell. That, no, no, no. He doesn't have to answer the bell, but what I was saying is that's the way the NHL's gone to these days. Even if it's a clean hit, you got to answer the bell. But even if you do have to answer the bell for a clean hit, it doesn't have to be like that. Right, exactly. So yeah, he definitely went overboard with it. And again, just overreacting and taking his role too seriously. And, you know, that's the problem, you know, with Tom Wilson, at least he puts in goals with Ryan Reeves. Uh, he doesn't really have much else that he produces every once in a while. He buries one around the net. But I mean, in the playoffs, this is his sole responsibility and kind of the only thing he thinks about. So he wants to go out there and start this stuff. And it's the only thing on his mind. And that's the problem with having a guy like this, because he's going to overreact and say, oh, well, this is my job. This is my sole responsibility. And now look what you had. You, you, almost injured almost and that's another stupid thing people are saying oh well he wasn't hurt right and we that's mainly pete the boar i think that was him kind of leading those comments saying it's not hard to defend him he's one of the cleanest tough guys i've seen in the league in my 12 years his gloves never came off and nobody was hurt on the play that's a terrible terrible he put his knee he put his knee to graves's head and started punching at graves's defenseless head with a glove because you know that makes it softer and basically driving Graves into the ice. And even when Graves got up, you kind of saw like that big red mark on his forehead as he, when he was finally able to get yeah, off the ice. a few ice. of them. Yeah, he had quite a few of those. But hey, at least his gloves didn't come off. Like, come on, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And Ryan Reeves, as I wrote yesterday in my story post game, he did what he does best. He used his massive frame. He uses brute force to toe the line and often cross it. And if you want to know how often he crosses it, he did it two nights prior in Minnesota when he cross-checked Ryan Suter face first into the post from behind. Two days later, Ryan Graves. He's now suspended pending a hearing, which the NHL Department of Player Safety is currently uh, has scheduled and is going to happen later today. We'll probably see a result of it by the end of this uh, podcast, um, if not when you listen to it. And... He's going to be suspended. He's missing at least one game. I don't foresee it going more than two or three games if it even hits three. And that's because the NHL is not offering an in-person hearing. 
they are kind of getting to this quickly. And a nice little note that I noticed after last night, there was a five minute major attached to his name for intent to injure on the game sheet. And it's kind of weird. Maybe I'm getting this off, but basically what had happened was there was a 10 minute match penalty and then there was a two minute for roughing and a two minute for roughing. And I kind of sat back and said, where's the five minute major is that does the 10 minute match penalty sort of play a double role and be that five minute major to set up the nine minute power play? Like, how does this work? And then later on in the night, I got home, I checked the game summary sheet. They had added a five minute major for intent to injure. Well, now if you go to the game summary sheet, that has since been removed. It is a double minor for roughing and a 10 minute match penalty. And then when you go to the department of player safety and the way that they worded the tweet that they sent out today, they said Vegas's Ryan Reeves will have a hearing today for roughing slash unsportsmanlike conduct on Colorado's Ryan Graves. They did not use the terminology intent to injure, which was the biggest part of the call last night. And I'm starting to think they're kind of have rescinded that and are taking it a step lower, which leads me to believe he's not going to get more than one, maybe two games, which is complete bullshit if you ask me. But that's the way that they're choosing to go with this. I think there's a couple things the NHL Department of Safety really needs to look at and consider, and that's the fact that it was six to one going into the third period. Right, yeah. the game was over, and you knew you knew that this was going to be their only goal for the rest of the game, and that's exactly what happened. So there was obvious intent there; uh, that was their plan, right? And I think the other big thing that should raise flags is his simple. Um, ignoring of the refs, right? The refs were sitting there breaking it up. And I don't understand why the NHL has such a high tolerance for this. They let this happen when refs are sitting there trying to police the game and trying to do their job. And you got a big guy like Ryan Reeves just ignoring them, trying to swim around him and still pumping Ryan Graves, right? I think that that should be... And then there's no consequences for it. Right, exactly. That should be something that has deeper consequences because you're blatantly ignoring the ref and now you're trying to hurt somebody. And I I just never understand why the refs just kind of get ignored. And you see it all the time. The refs are sitting there trying to do, sometimes they even take hits, right? Sometimes they get a, a glove in the face by accident, by mistake, and that's just okay. And I don't understand that. I don't get it either. And that's the reality. I mean, you you just nailed the, like you nailed it on the head there. They were entering the third period down six to one. They wanted to get revenge. They wanted to set the tone. They wanted to send a message for the rest of the series that we will beat you up and we're going to come back in game two and we're going to do all this. And then there was the Ian Mark and Graves play. The Avalanche were all expecting it. If you're the NHL, how the hell were you not expecting to see this? How the hell were you not expecting this to happen? I was talking to Mark Rycroft after the game, and he said, Joel Quinville used to do this all the time when I played for him. And and if you remember, Riker played for Quinville with St. Louis and with the Avalanche. He said, the coach has to look at Ryan Reeves and be like, hey, calm down. Calm the fuck down. You don't need to go out there and be an idiot and just sort of kind of bring him down from the level where he was. I'm going to play you a lot. You're going to need to go out there, but don't be an idiot. And Riker said, that's something that Joel Quinville used to do all the time. And Pete DeBoer failed to do that. And then he went and backed him up. Clearly the Golden Knights know that if they're going to beat the Avalanche, they have to beat them through physical brute force. And uh, I like what Bednar said last night after the game, when he was asked, uh, about Vegas's physicality and how the Avalanche responded to Vegas playing a physical brand of hockey. And he said, I wouldn't call that physicality. It wasn't physicality. It was after the whistle bullcrap. It's not the same. Playing physical is finishing your checks, playing tough, playing hard, a strong forecheck, a strong back check, and just overwhelming the other team physically. Doing what Vegas was doing is getting beat and then trying to find a way to even the score. So you do a bunch of dirty crap. And like I said yesterday, and like I tweeted out, the Golden Knights can probably out-hit and, and physically dominate the Avalanche if they could catch them because they spent 60 minutes chasing after the better team. Just to prepare everyone for what is probably not going to happen, which is a, a strict suspension here, what differences do you see in what what Reeves did to Graves and what Tom Wilson did to Artemi Panarin? There's no differences. Exactly. You want to know what the difference is? The NHL don't even acknowledge what he did to Panarin. They 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 find him for the Pavel Buchnevich play. Right. That's the difference. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm expecting here. They're just going to say, well, that's playoff hockey. He's a bigger guy. And, uh, you know, Ryan Graves knew what he was getting into when he made that hit on Yanmark. I just feel like so there's be it. not only going to be underwhelming action, there's a good chance that there's no action. He's going to get one game. They're going to lose that game and then they're going to be golfing in three or four games and they could talk about how they have a bigger, tougher guy in Ryan Gre- Gre- uh, Ryan Reeves. 
It's tough talking about the two I know. of them Ryan at the same Reeves time. Ryan Reeves and Reeves and Graves. I know, it's a lot. <laughs> Ryan Reeves, but the Avalanche and Ryan Graves are the ones moving on. Yep, absolutely. So my money is on no suspension. Yours is on a one game. But DraftKings, you know, I tried to segue. It failed, whatever. I got to tell you about DraftKings. <laughs> DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but it's also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. And that's no lie. I got my girlfriend, who doesn't even like sports that much, to start a DraftKings account, and she loves it. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. You also got the French Open going on right now. And as you and I were discussing, the Euro is only two, two, what, two couple weeks away? Sure is. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code MHS for limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And we've got the Nuggets you know, in the middle of a series right now with the Trailblazers, so hopefully... Um, I think I, if that, if that promo is still around, I'm going to take it on the Nuggets because I think they're bound to win this next game at home. In case you forgot, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out and site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. DraftKings has been lovely to me. I had a nice parlay hit last night. Got to the stadium early just to watch that third period of the Tampa Bay game and man, DraftKings has been good to me. So if you haven't tried it out, hop on it. Make some money. Yeah. Have some fun. Just makes it more exciting. Yeah. Um, and be smart enough to take the lightning and the, and the avalanche, and you'll yeah. be good. Easy peasy, right? Um, while we are on the topic of suspensions, today it was announced that Nazem Kadri, his appeal for his suspension was basically ignored, and they upheld the suspension of eight games. So up next, of course, he's going to take it to an arbitrator and see if he can continue to fight this and appeal this. But... First swing was a miss. Yes. So this is something that, yes, it was a miss, but it was a, a planned and expected miss. Anytime NHL players uh, decide to appeal their suspension and it goes to Gary Bettman, uh, I can't say for sure historically if Gary Bettman has ever not upheld a, a, a suspension, but I could say that he pretty much never does. Uh, I will have to fact check that. I I'm pretty sure he's probably never done it before. Gary Bettman will always stick up for what the NHL Department of Player Safety does. And then that's why in the collective bargaining agreement, the NHLPA has that second clause where you can take it to a neutral arbitrator because obviously Gary Bettman is not neutral. He's going to side with his guys and his guys are the NHL Department of Player Safety. He is the NHL commissioner. That's just the way it works. This was planned this was expected. This is not a bump in the road. This is simply part of the process. It's going to take you to that neutral arbitrator, which is going to be heard. I forget the name of the arbitrator, but it's one that has uh, done many suspensions in the past. And uh, it's going to be an DOS. It's going to be an expedited process. And it's going to be something. His last name is DOS. Yeah, it's Shiam DOS. Bingo. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, arbitrator Shiam Das, and it's it's uh, this is an arbitrator that has dealt with past ones, uh, past NHL suspensions, and uh, this is the reason why Nazem Kadri hired outside representation. He was ready for this step. This is simply just another step in the process of trying to lower his suspension from eight games. So don't get too crazy about it yet. This was expected from Gary Bettman. Yeah, absolutely. It's the NHL Department of Safety, right? It's not a third party that operates alongside the NHL. It's literally NHL employees. So I think it would be a bad look if Gary Bettman said anything that uh, was against what they have decided because those are he's basically saying our system's broken by doing that and he doesn't want to ever do that. So um, obviously he's going to uphold exactly what was the, the decision from the Department of Safety. But what's your confidence level? Do you think that this arbitrator uh, ends up Arbiter? Arbitrator? Arbitrator. Arbiter. I, I've heard both. I'm pretty sure it's arbitrator, but I, I still get the sense that it's going to get lowered to six. 
there is no reason why, but I have a hunch, and that would mean that uh, Kadri is back for game five or game one of the next round. <laughs> but I kind of feel like it's gonna go, it's gonna go down a six. And my reasoning behind that is why I said what I said last episode. The last time Nazem Kadri was suspended in 2019, he got the rest of the series. The rest of the series ended up being five games. There's no way they're going to give him less than the five games he had last time. So if anything, the arbitrator is going to say, I will lower it for you, but it has to be more than what you got last time. It'll be six games. He will miss game two, game three, game four, and hopefully be back for game five unless the Avalanche pull off another sweep and then he'll be back for the next round. Imagine they do pull off another sweep. How frustrated you have to be. And and then Kadri gets uh, his suspension upheld and uh, they have to wait another week for Boston to beat the Islanders. And he's just sitting there and he still has two more games. It's like a month and a half would have passed between games that he's played. He's going to be sitting there eating popcorn going, this is great. I hit a guy in game two of the first round and I blinked twice and I came back and it's we're in the final four and we have a chance to win the cup. And then he's going to look up and see the Boston Bruins and be like, holy crap, here we go again. <laughs> like, Yeah. If you're Kadri, you got to make sure you're not stirring up too many emotions too watching this Vegas series, right? Because last thing you want to do is step on the ice and play Vegas and suddenly, you know, you're, you're trying to get revenge on all the games you watched from the press box. Do you out, remember... Out do you remember that one play where uh, Andre Burakovsky was tied up with Nicholas Haig and then Don Skoy was on the other side tied up with someone and they were both kind of like ragdolling these two young European wingers? Mm-hmm. Who's their usual center? Kadri. I'm very glad Kadri didn't play that game right. yesterday because if he wasn't suspended a week ago, he likely would have done something yesterday to get suspended because you don't F with his wingers like that and have him not do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, hopefully the best of luck to him and... I want to see him sooner than later. I'm sure we all do. I know some people were trying to get him out of town, but I'm ready to see some of that snarl he has and see if he can uh, produce offensively. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, the fact that he's not producing offensively, well, he's not in the game right now, but he wasn't producing offensively. And Burakovsky's kind of taken a minute to get going. And even Giannis Donskoy is not scoring at the pace he was two months ago. And the Avalanche are still playing the way they are. Just goes to show how much depth this team has where they can throw in whoever they want to and, and see results. This team is primed for a long run if they could stay healthy at the right places. And on that note, we saw Sample Ranta make his NHL debut in replacement of Carl Soderberg. So, uh, yeah, let's get into that a little bit. How did he do? What do you think about uh, the taking out of Soderberg from the lineup? Uh, the taking out of Soderberg is uh, just another step in the process of saying that the Avalanche have a lot of depth. And uh, exactly what Jared Bednar said when Soderberg was reacquired is just because this is the guy that was playing big minutes a couple years ago doesn't mean his spot is guaranteed. Like everybody else, he has to earn it. And when I asked Bednar, I said, you know, bringing in Carl gives you so many centers, you know, how are you going to deal with this problem? He said, it's a good problem to have because it's going to be competitive and, and whoever is deserving of playing on any given night is going to be the one playing. Carl hasn't produced the way that we had hoped when he was acquired, but he was acquired for next to nothing. And he is a strong depth player. You're going to need him at some point because someone's bound to get hurt. So uh, I have no issue with him sitting and I have no issue with the trade for him in regards to Sampo Ranta. All I can say about his game is at least he wasn't the worst number 75 on the ice. <laughs> Uh, that was a shot at Ryan Reeves, but, uh, of course he played seven minutes and something seconds. He was a minus one. He didn't do much. He wasn't given much of an opportunity, but to be a 21, well, actually 21 year old kid, happy birthday, Sampo. Today's his birthday. Uh, to be a 20 year old in your NHL debut playing in the second round of the playoffs for the president trophy winning avalanche playing against the Vegas golden Knights in the series that everybody's been wanting to see. And your team comes away with a seven to one win that's got to feel pretty damn good if you're Sampo, minus one or not. Right. I mean, I think the goal there was just to get his feet wet in NHL action, right? You didn't, didn't necessarily want to rely on him too much, and I think you are putting more reliance on that top line. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, this fourth line probably isn't going to get too much time tonight, and I'm really going to ride heavy on this top line. Let's put some guys in there that you know might be able to make somewhat of an impact, but more importantly, just uh, you know, get getting his feet wet. I mean, New Hook, well, I think he got about two minutes more than Ranta. So again, I know he's a little more comfortable with New Hook, so I get it. But just not necessarily needing somebody who needs big minutes because you're going to give all your minutes to your your big guns. Absolutely, and it's just having somebody that can, like you said, get their feet wet and just kind of get used to the NHL game. And uh, 
every once in a while you need a hero and that hero has to step up at times where they wouldn't have otherwise if they didn't get an opportunity. Case in point, Alex Newhook scoring that game-winning goal against the St. Louis Blues in the first round, even though he played less than 10 minutes every single game. I love it. That's a good point. It sometimes comes when you least expect it and, you know, when you might need it the most. Who knows if the uh, top line gets tired and you got to put the fourth line out there in a pivotal moment, they might perform. So might as well get them some experience and some minutes beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. And and for someone like Sampo, this is a player who's going to be a part of the future. Uh, the Avalanche are entering that period in their time where they're going to not be able to afford having two, three, four million dollar wingers like Donskoy and uh, and Comfer and uh, a missing one, Brandon Saad and Nichushkin. So having guys on their entry level contracts like Newhook, like Sampo Renta, like all, all these other young guys that are stepping into the lineup over the next coming years is going to be very crucial for the Avs. And Sampo is going to be one of those guys. Um, so yeah, that's all from game one. I mean, we fill the uh, 45 minutes here just talking about game one, but that's all I wanted to get off my chest. Any other observations or notes you want to throw out there from game one? No, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I like the fact that they got to the series really quickly. I like the fact that there's going to be two days off before game two, and then it's uh, it's it's go from there. It's it's all systems go. It's every other night until the end of the series, however long it goes. And uh, for the Avalanche, they are now 19-0-1 in their last 20 at Ball Arena. They have not lost a game at Ball, Arena, at Ball Arena in regulation or overtime since before fans were allowed back, since before we were back up and kicked up to the press box. It's been a long time. They play damn good hockey there, and this is a good team. And boy, do we like 6 p.m. starts. Yes, love it. I'm already dreading Wednesday, but right. we'll see. Uh, that brings us to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, we're going outside the avalanche, outside Vegas, outside the playoffs even, and we're going to Evander Kane of the San Jose Sharks for his nice little tweet there, <laughs> taking a shot at Ryan Reeves. We know they have some beef, and they've had it for quite a long time, so I love him chiming in with uh, tell, say, telling everybody that the biggest punishment would be forcing Vegas to play him 20 minutes a night. That'd be hilarious if that was an actual punishment, obviously ridiculous, but love the tweet from Evander Kane. It was funny absolutely loved it it was great and you know he's just sitting back on his recliner having popcorn watching ryan greaves lose ryan reeves lose his mind and, and everything that was happening to vegas and just laughing it laughing about it and tweeting about it and it was hilarious star number two and of course i'm trying to go a little bit different it would have been easy to say miko ranton and gabe Landeskog, nathan mckinnon right trying to change it up a little bit since really we're basing it off the exact same game that they were the actual three stars for but star number two we're giving it to sam gerrard um for a couple reasons i, I as you know i got to the game early because i really wanted to watch sam gerrard um, do his warm-up routine because we heard from gabe Landeskog how he's kind of anal about this warm-up routine that he does so I really wanted to see it nothing special about it I watched the entire thing he does a lot of standing around and and like bends over and just stares at something not sure what it was um yeah <laughs> it was a whole lot of nothing but it looks like that's the whole lot of nothing he does every game he does every game and uh, another quirk I, I noticed about him is he refuses to turn right so he really only uses the far side of that ice and just only turns left and skates in a circle around that that side but I mean he played a good game right I mean he came out and he took, I think, pretty much almost all the first five minutes of the game uh, on the ice. And then there was one point where even Ryan Reeves hit him and he got sandwiched and smushed against the boards, almost flattened him, and he just kept playing. Then, of course, the Pacioretty hit where he got the shoulder to the face, goes and gets a nose tampon, comes right back out on the ice. And uh, I just like the, like the game. It's a physical playoff game that we were saying, I don't know if Sam Gerrard's ready for, and he's handling it pretty well. And he was a plus two. He had an assist. He had a shot. And uh, get this, Samuel Gerrard and his four hits were the most on the avalanche last night. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that was a surprise to me as well. But Sam Gerrard led the avalanche in hits. You saw him kind of lay out Jonathan March still at one point. Uh, shout out to Sam Gerrard. He's ready for the playoff physicality that is the series against the Vegas Golden Knights. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep talking here because I'm going to steal star number one away from you. I know who you have written down as star number one, and I'm going to go off the board a little bit, and I'm going to give it to Devon Taves. Because it's easy to talk about Kale McCarr, and it's easy to talk about Sam Gerrard, but once again, just like we said during the first round, Devon Taves consistently leads this team in ice time. McCarr played 21-57, Gerrard played 21-24, 
Devon Taves played 24-55. He led the defense in shorthanded time on ice. He led the defense... Uh, no, he did not. Actually, yes, he did lead the defense in power play time on ice. He led the game in even strength time on ice. He plays in all situations. He never makes mistakes, rarely if ever. He is by far the most underrated player on this team. He had a couple of block shots. He had a takeaway. He had a hit. He is by far the most underrated player on this team because all of the things defensively that you want from a complete player like Makar and Gerard, when they're not doing it, it's Devon Taves that's doing it. The amount of pressure this guy takes off of Gerard and Tate, uh, Gerard and Makar should not be understated. Not this year, not next year, not for the next five, six, seven years as Makar is racking up Norris trophies. First star for me is Devon Taves. Hey, I like it. I like the audible at the goal line. I had Kale Makar written down, but I really like that point you just made, and I'm buying it. Of course, it's easy to point to Kale Makar and see all the great offensive things we're doing, but when you have as big of a role as Devon Taves does and he's handling it so quietly, which means he's not making mistakes like you pointed out, yeah, uh, it's Makar's pairing, uh, his partner, right? And we saw we saw them teaming up on a lot of big plays yesterday, and you're right, without Devon Taves, I don't think Makar can thrive the way he did yesterday, so um, I'll, give it to, I'll give it to Taves. He played he played more than three he played three minutes more than both Makar and Gerard. That was a hard sentence for some reason, but you get the point. He plays a lot of minutes and he's just so underrated and good at it. Yeah, absolutely. So those are the three stars of the week. I hope you liked them. Um, I guess this is a good place to wrap up the podcast here, Arif. Let's I don't think we've ever done a whole hour on just one game, but obviously playoffs call for a little bit more from everybody, including us and the players and fans and uh so i love it i love what's going on i love the second round i love what you guys brought to ball arena yesterday it was fun it was electric keep it up keep on reading keep on listening keep on writing keep on tweeting us it's gonna be a long playoff run we're only five games in but we're, we're very much far into it because all five games have been wins keep watching those videos we're making too we're having fun making them we put too much thought and we overanalyze them but i love i love doing yeah. those with you Arif. yeah those those are a lot of fun and shout out to whoever it was that said we look like pros doing them too. That really rubbed my ego. Aaron Grady at Gaspar5280. Got to give you a shout out for that. Let's go, Aaron. Um, well, yeah, that being said, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back after game two to analyze that and break it all down and overanalyze it too. So, uh, again, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, hockey's for everyone. We got you.